players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Carpet of Flowers, Veil of Summer, Xanath Swarm, and many others. Battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy in the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is sponsored by Cardboard Live and TheEpicStorm.com. What's up, everybody? Eddie Zamora here for episode 17 of the Eternal Glory podcast with your favorite boys, Bryant Cook and Mr. Anurag Das. How you doing, boys? Hey, Eddie. Thank you for being here. I'm doing great. How are you, Anurag? I'm chill. I'm chill AF. I'm so chill. Actually, I'm actually really cold because I'm in D.C. this week and... Oh, my goodness. I don't think I can ever move back to the East Coast. I don't know how you guys how you do it, uh, Bryant, because it is... It's like 50 degrees here, and I'm just, like, freezing my pants off. So, uh, yeah, I, I literally am pretty chill. But otherwise, things are going going pretty good. Um, Eddie, have you been? It's been a while since you've been here, right? When was the last time it you were here? Like, yeah. four. I want to say it was, like, episode 12. But I've missed it. I, I could I'm be glad wrong. to be back. Sad, sad Wilson isn't here because he's the best. I mean, he's really good on the cast. Um, and so... But uh, I'm glad to fill his shoes. Listeners. For the listeners, Wilson's actually not here this week. He's uh, busy with work, so uh, it's going to be the three of us, and we're going to just sit back, relax. We're going to dive into this episode. And starting with the first bit, as we always do, the quick hits. So off to start, uh, off to start I want to say thank you for your donations, Henrik Korkuk and Jordan Wood. Uh, again, your contributions and the contributions of everyone else who has helped us before, uh, you know, goes directly into the podcast, makes it so that we can actually run this thing. And, you know, also supports Force of Phil, a.k.a. a.k.a. Phil Blackman, a.k.a. our editor, a.k.a. go follow him on Twitter, a.k.a. go say, say thanks to him. Thanks, Phil. Yeah. So we really appreciate all the all the support you guys are showing us. And, you know, you guys are awesome. We could do this without you. Uh that being said, let's talk about what's been going on on the day-to-day. -day. I guess I'll go ahead and start. So this week, like I told you guys already, I'm in D.C. for work because, uh, uh, well, I yeah, it's just part of my job now. Since I moved to San Diego, like I, I come to D.C. once a month or so, uh, consulting something, something, something. But I also was at... Da, 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 internal weekend this past weekend uh halloween weekend and that was uh weekend uh weekend weekend it was pretty good i think i uh i think yeah. i saw weren't you, you th weren't you that guy with the blazer and the shirt where were you oh yeah all right let's 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 talk about eternal weekend because i think it was one of the, my best my my like happiest magic moments ever uh so for anyone who you know didn't get to quite catch the coverage of eternal weekend i actually got to do commentary for uh the main event the legacy champs and yeah it was absolutely incredible so um i think i did two rounds of commentary in the swiss that's 10 rounds so i did round eight which was a really cool uh storm no was it storm versus delver 
I think it was Storm versus Delver, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so I did commentary on that matchup. And then in round 10, I think I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. Maybe it was the other way around. I, I did commentary on a bunch of matchups, and it was really awesome. And then we moved to the top eight, and I kind of just, like, did commentary on, like, a large majority of it. And um, it was so much fun because I, I got to hang out with Mike Noble, uh, Mike Hornung. I got to hang out with Eric Virgo. And I also got to do commentary with Randy Boiler, which was pretty awesome. Uh, so I, this is like going to go down as like one of the most memorable magic experiences. And I hope they're just, I don't know, like I, I can't really, I can't really explain it. But now that I've done this, I just want to do more and I don't want to stop. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like start commenting and everything. I'm gonna, like walk out the hotel tomorrow and be like, all right. And the guy crosses over the street with the car on the red and uh, okay, this joke is kind of boring, but I do really, really want to say like thanks, thanks a lot um, to the Car Titan staff, and and very specifically to to Nick Koss for you know giving me this opportunity, to Jeff Foster as well uh, for giving me this opportunity, and uh, you guys are you guys are awesome. Uh, shout out also to Danny West because I he was in the booth with us the whole weekend, and I mean it, it is just so much fun like hanging out with people and doing things that you know you're really passionate about, so. So uh, do you have anything else coming up for commentary, like any local events or by local? I mean, like some people stream PTQs or things like that. Anything else coming up? Yeah. So in terms of commentary, I I wouldn't call it local, but this past weekend uh, was the Orlov Legacy Tournament. It was it's based on it's Beijing's like biggest legacy tournament. So I think they had like about 100 players or so. So it's it's a reasonably sized tournament. That's like seven rounds of Swiss and then a cut to top eight. No, it may be like a two day event. I don't know the, the the structure of it all, but, but last year, Lawrence Harmon and I, we did commentary on the rounds in the main event. And this year we're going to run it back, but I'm thinking of expanding the, the crew to get a couple of your, your favorite commentators, uh, who I personally love listening to. So, you know, that, that project is coming up. I think we're going to schedule it not this week because this is the weekend of the, the, uh, the MC, not next week because it's the SCG Envy, but the week after. I think that was a free weekend where everyone's going to be able to is come together. The, uh, so. Is that the tournament that our, our favorite Cardboard Live member, James Shu, is heavily involved with? Yeah, there it is. That, that's <laughs> the one. You're right. You're right. What does that say about Wilson? Well, Wilson's our favorite member of the Eternal Glory podcast, right? Wilson sucks. Do, 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 do. Wilson. All right. So, yeah. And then, I mean, besides that, uh, I'm also so one one of the things I do every week now for the next few weeks, the next few months almost uh, is the Legacy Premier League. Da, da, and, da, da, da. Bam, 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 bam. Yeah. So we're, <laughs> we're we're in, actually we're, we're going to do week six of the Legacy Premier League. And actually, Brian, you're playing this weekend, right? Or this week? I am. I am, and I am not playing humans. Oh, shit. Big mistake. Well, sorry, Big mistake. Eddie. You saw my play last time. <laughs> it was uh, yeah, not Yeah, I try great. not to think about it. <laughs> so, so I guess uh, let's get a, a sneak peek or a post-peek, I guess. A post-sneak peek? Yeah, so are you playing Test this weekend or something, or Dredge, or like you, you, Miracles even? What are you playing? I am not playing any of those. I am playing Ad Nauseam Tendrils. Wait, what is that? Uh, it's the uh, other storm deck. What is it? Is it ABC test, NBC test? What do we call well, that? I've been to the epicstorm.com a lot of times and have not read a single thing about another storm deck. 
mostly doesn't <laughs> exist. Uh, but there's this guy who's very good with it, uh, Daniel D'Amato, who did very, very well at Star City Ames Philly and then top four at Eternal Weekend. Uh, we've secretly allowed Daniel into the Grixis Goblins chat. And Daniel is a regular there. He's a great guy, has a lot of good insight. And when I was brainstorming decks that I thought would be good against Phil, Ant seemed like a very solid choice. Phil likes to play mid-range... Phil's my opponent for the week six of Legacy Premier League. And Phil likes to play mid-range decks that, you know, are very grindy. And I was trying to think of a deck that I could play that is good against that. And I was thinking about a Grixis-style deck, maybe four-color control, because Kalgan's Command is so good against decks that Phil would normally play. And then I was like, why not just go over the top of whatever Phil's dealing and play Storm? I said I wouldn't play TES... Ad nauseum tendrils is not exactly the same. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And, uh... Cheats. Yeah, here we are. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool. I, I think, uh... Alright, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call the shot right now. I think you're going to win against Phil. And I think you're going to win two games... To zero, because I got your back. You might My, you my hope uh, is so. that you win with Empty the Warrens. At least one of the games. I'll do it for you. Wait, so 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 I think we know the I I so I know the matchup. Uh, you already know the matchup too. But Phil's playing like a, the Naya Dark Depths Loam whatever deck whatever the name the name you want to call it that like Zansiad's been piloting on the SCG tour in the past few weeks, right? So I think that you're pretty favored. I mean, I don't know Phil's exact list, but like outside of like maybe like spheres, chalices, things like that. Uh, does he even have like I feel like the post board game should the pre board game should be like a piece of cake for you right because they don't really have proper interaction and then the post board games I think uh, will be a little bit dicier but you know I, I genuinely do think that you're going to be ahead in the matchup so so something interesting about the matchup from the ant perspective uh, because it's not TES is you can't just win through a veil of summer normally with TES you're like okay you have veil of summer I'm just going to grape shot you for twenty. Well, with Ad Nauseam Tendrils, your win condition is a black sorcery, so it doesn't quite work that way. So Tendrils of Agony will counter, they'll draw a card, and then you're kind of just like SOL. So you can choose the sideboard in Fluster Storm, or you can rely on Empty the Warrens, which goes back to what Eddie was hoping for, which I think is actually like somewhat realistic, because I expect Phil... I haven't seen Phil's deck list yet, but I expect Phil to have two to three copies of Veil of Summer, and it's going to put me in an awkward spot. Like, do I board in Foster Storm for Vale, or do I re- just rely on Empty the Warrens against the deck baking 2020s? Taking I don't a, know. Taking a quick yeah. glance at a few of the deck lists that have been posted on MTG Goldfish over the last few weeks, none of them have Veil of Summer in them. So maybe. Oh, yeah. shit, Phil! <laughs> maybe you'll just power through. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll preemptively get the body bag for Phil. I got you. No, Phil, I'm just kidding. Phil, I love you. Best of luck. That's going to be a, a fun match to watch. So be sure to be sure to tune in to it. Not this week, obviously, because, you know, it's going to be done by now. But obviously, the next week, be sure to tune in. Uh, it's going to be a good time. A lot of really good Magic players in this event, like Gold Pros, uh, Plat Pros, whatever. I don't know. Podcasters. What the, yeah, exactly. Content creators. So uh, all in all, Bryant... Uh, let's transition to you now. You tell me, what have you been up to? How you been? Well, How you doing? Anurag, you were talking about that lovely East Coast weather. Last week, I left Syracuse, New York, to travel down to Charleston, South Carolina. Syracuse was a lovely 45 degrees, 
and I landed in Charleston just hours later, and it was 85 and humid. It was uh, quite the difference. And then the next day, it promptly dropped down to 50 degrees, and I was freezing. Uh, but the wedding I went to was beautiful. Charleston was beautiful. It looks exactly how you would imagine. It's an It looks like an 1800 city on the water. It's just gorgeous. Uh, I wasn't expecting palm trees, for those of you that have never been there. It's just, you're not in Florida. You are f rather far south, but I just didn't expect to see palm trees, so that kind of shocked me. Uh, I found out that Bill Murray lives in Charleston. Did not get to meet Bill Murray. I would have settled for Danny McBride. He also lives there. Didn't happen. Did you eat at Hall's Chop House? I did not. I did eat I... at a place called Lewis's. It was the best rated barbecue place down there, and it was delicious. I uh my my fiance went to uh med school there, so I hung out a lot in Charleston and I got to say you like it, it is great. Like that's the kind of place that I would like to like retire, you know what I mean? And you know, once I take my my copious amounts of money that I've made from streaming Magic the Gathering full time, I'll just go to Charleston, retire and just eat Hall's Chop House every day. Yeah. The first night we were there, we got in, it was actually game 7 of the World Series and we were like, hey, let's uh, grab food. It's like 1030. We asked the concierge, like, what's still open at this time that you would recommend? Uh, the concierge recommended some sort of uh, bar brewery sort of place. We got there and it was by far the worst food we had all weekend. It was like cold bar food. So uh, concierge at Hotel Indigo, you did me a disservice. <laughs> yeah. One star Yelp review, but really, no, don't do that. But uh, yeah. Um but do you have any other tournaments that happened uh, recently or anything like that? Or I do. I guess I could not talk about my personal life since no one cares about that. Uh, I went to... Oh, Eddie. I went to Leaving a Legacy Open 5 in... What is it called? Acton, Massachusetts. I just really, really wanted to see those other podcasters. Uh, that would be Gerald Meme and Patrick Ublo. So uh, I rode with our fan favorite, Dick Fisher who didn't donate this week, Dick. And wow. I was saying his name. <laughs> oh, okay. Clever. Uh, Dick Fisher picked me up at 4 a.m. and drove us all the way to Acton, Massachusetts. It was about four and a half hours. Uh, he was very excited to meet Pat and Jerry, and I introduced uh, Pat and Jerry to Dick Fisher. He was very happy. Uh, Dick played the uh, Black Green Turbo Depths list with pedals and spirit guides and stuff like that with uh what's that new card i can't think of it off the top of my head once upon a once time once upon a time and he said he was very underwhelmed he said for the majority of the event he actually wished that it was sylvan scrying and then curtis actually ended up winning the event with turbo depths with sylvan scrying so it's kind of funny how that poetry worked out i didn't tell pat and jerry that i was going to be there because I had one leaving a legacy open one. And then for the second one, Pat and Jerry screamed from the rooftop that I would be there. And there was a bounty on my head and everyone packed a ton of storm hate and both myself and Anthony Laverde scrubbed out. And if you don't count leaving a legacy two, Anthony and I have top aided every single leaving a legacy open. We both have three top eights out of the five and both of us have skipped one event. So that was a bad weekend. So I didn't tell them I would be there which led to, once again, another top eight for me. Uh, going back to what we talked about a couple weeks ago, I played Tormod Script, and then round one promptly faced Black Red Reanimator. 
how does this keep happening? Like, ever since you added that card, your round one of every single tournament just has been black-red reanimator. It's like your Tormod script is just like a magnetic device or something like that. It's just, like, pretty ridiculous. But I'm, I'm hoping you won this round. I did. So my opponent was actually Hal Bernstein. Great guy. He's honestly, like, one of the best opponents I've had in a while. It's just, Dude. it feels so bad sitting across from him knowing he's going to crush me but he's so nice like it does like take this thing away a little bit but at the same time i'd rather not be sitting across from hal i actually played against hal at the grand prix uh in atlanta at round nine of day one so i also met him and i don't know if you remember this brian but like you told me like that like when when you got paired for your first uh match of the day you're like fuck i'm playing against hal and um did you remember I, i literally remember that you said that and uh, that actually helped me. I still got crushed in game one because it's Black Red Reanimator. But uh, I mean, I, I it's just kind of cool. And then we had like a really like awesome conversation. And I think at one point in game three, like uh, there was like an Iona in play and some crazy stuff happened. And I was able to win, win the game uh, after the Iona had gotten to play. It was a great match. And I had a great time talking to Hal about the match. And just like in general, uh, I don't know why I'm saying all this. I just... I guess I, I'm very excited that... Uh... Hell had quite the event. He also played against E-Type and Sasson. Uh, or Sasson. <laughs> and so he faced a lot of very skilled Legacy Wizards. E-Type played at the, uh, uh, but... at the Leaving a Legacy? No, this was uh, ah, Atlanta. Okay, okay. okay. I faced Hell round three. E-Type faced Hell round five or six. And then apparently Anurag did round oh, wow. nine. Tough day. Nice. Hell beat me at uh, the first Star City game Syracuse this year, too, the one in March, on my birthday. On my 30th birthday, Hell crushed my dreams round two. Rude. Shame on you, Hell. Happy birthday to you. Here's but, uh, a gristle So brand. I defeated Hell, and then I lost round, like, six to blue-green show-and-tell. And I'm an idiot. My opponent fetched up a trop, and I was like, ah, I wonder what the green's for. And I was like, is he playing Eureka's? And then he show and tell into Gristlebrand, allowed me to tendrils uh, my opponent for lethal, and then my opponent cast Veil of Summer main deck and just blew oh, me wow. out. Uh, I felt pretty embarrassed because if I had considered uh, Veil of Summer, I could have Infernal Tutor for a Chromox that I couldn't imprint, and then Grape Shotted for exactly lethal, but I couldn't pay for a spell pierce. So it was like a weird situation. But mm. I could have done that and not lost the Veil of Summer. I don't know if that's better or worse. My opponent didn't tell me what they ha- what else they had in hand, so the world may never know. But I, lost- I got I, crushed. That's the tricky thing. Like, I would never play a- around like a main deck Veil of Summer in any shape or form in any world. I mean, if you think about it, it kind of makes sense, but... Yeah. Uh, I ended up asking my opponent before the top eight. I was like, I, ha- I have to know. How many main deck Veil of Summers do you have? And then my opponent said three. And my, my, my eyes bugged out of my head. I couldn't believe that three was the number. Um, it's just a little bit narrow. But maybe that's fine in the current metagame where Turbo Depths or Golgari Depths and Rug Delver are the most popular decks. Well, I mean, like, what cards do you care about as the Eureka deck? Force of Will? Yeah, Oxies? that's... Yeah, I can see that because the decks that aren't playing those cards, you're just going to resolve your show and tell. And then the ones where Veil of Summer matters, it really comes into play, like winning the game. Yeah. And then, like, Veil of Summer can do some weird stuff like uh, stifle a Jace unsummon, you know, weird corner case scenarios. But, like, I I could see the card. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned that there were three main deck 
Bale of Summers because I played against uh, Aluren at the Grand Prix. I don't know why I'm referencing this because like months old now, but the dude also had three main deck Bale of Summers, and I like freaked out when I heard that. I actually had to. Uh, Bob told me to call Bob Wong told me to call a judge on uh, on uh, the Aluren guy because he had like main deck Flusterstorm and Bale of Summer, and it was just like so whack. And then the judge was like, "You'll never believe." what you know you know what i mean like some clickbait title i was like all right well yeah so uh i ended up losing in the top eight to rug delver but, but like so part of playing combo that sometimes isn't talked about enough is combo has a fail rate and my draws just were awful they just didn't come together and sometimes that happens when you play combo decks everyone likes to talk about their turn one wins through force of will and i had plenty of those on the day as well but sometimes you just don't draw a business spell or you don't draw mana and you just get crushed by a Termogoyf. Uh But overall, yeah. I thought uh, Pat, Jerry, and the people at Gaming, etc. did a very good job running the event. I am a little bit disappointed. The event was only 99 players and they needed 100 to uh, bump it up to a 3.5k. They generously bumped it up, but you'd think for an event that large, you would just get 100 players. Um, so that was very kind of the people at gaming, etc. Uh, but part of me, this is not a dig at you, Jerry. Part of me wonders if part of the reason the last few have had smaller attendance is due to the scheduling. Uh, the last one was the day of a star city legacy event in the Northeast. And this one was the weekend before eternal weekend. And I understand that there's a lot of, um, events being scheduled and not a lot of open weekends but next one's going to be on easter is, is <laughs> no, that true i'm just that's that's when niagara <laughs> falls was so that's the joke okay there. but i do know that a couple people in that area didn't go because they decided to work that weekend because they were going to eternal weekend the following weekend so it's a possibility that more people didn't go because they had to pick and choose and it happens yeah, no, ske- scheduling is hard. Like, I wonder if, uh, so, like, Eternal Weekend had maybe, like, 500-plus uh, attendees for the Legacy main event, and I'm wondering if this was, like, in a different place, like, closer to the Mythic Championship or, you know, like, uh, on a different week, like, right after the Star City Games Invitational, you know, like, whether we would unlock, like, more attendees for for the event, but... No, I mean, I, I I totally get it. Like, scheduling is hard. And I'm sure they took a lot of these things into consideration when they were planning and scripting in. Uh, I would, know. I, it's it's going to be very hard for me to make this happen. But I, I would really like to go to one of those events one day. I really like Pat and Jerry a lot. Um, I've been on their cast before, and they're just, like, really, really nice guys. It's, it's, I mean, I'm on the West Coast, so it'll be really hard, but that, that'd be a fun experience to get out there and, you know, get to hang out with Brian and Anthony Loverde and the bunch. Just a warning, the uh, event site is nowhere near the airport. It was a, it was like a 50 minute Uber for me when I flew in for the third one. True. Yeah. Actually, uh, I will also say, uh, it's probably cold as balls there right now. So I would, I would most definitely not go to Acton, uh, Massachusetts. I, I've been there before because, uh, uh, Bobber lives think, there. Yeah, exactly. He, yeah, he grew up there, and it was very cold. The coldest, one of the coldest places I've ever been. Um, and not like fifty degrees cold. I mean, like, like, I couldn't sleep at night because it was that cold cold so uh so going back to eternal weekend for a second 
Anurag, do you remember, maybe this was three or four years ago, uh, Eternal Extravaganza, run by Michael Caffrey, was run around the same time as the Leaving Legacy Open, where it was either the weekend before or after Eternal Weekend, and had very low attendance when Michael Caffrey put a lot of money and time. Uh, he rented out the uh, the room that Star City Games does in Baltimore, in the basement of the convention center. He was, yeah, yeah. he was expecting like 450 people and ended up getting 200, and essentially just gave away a ton of money because all the prizes were guaranteed. Caffrey bought everyone $15 deck boxes for when they signed up. The Dex deck boxes. I actually still use mine. I love them. They're the only deck boxes I use that Caffrey actually turned me on to using. And he did this nice service for everyone, and just no one showed up because it was so close to Eternal Weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think times were, like, a little bit different back then, too, right? Because I remember, like, like especially after that event, people were like, oh, no, Legacy is dying, this, this, that, this, this, that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, like I said, scheduling is hard, and honestly... Props to the people that are able to do it well. Uh, certainly not not one of my my for, for, uh, fortes, but yeah. Eddie, how's your life been? It's been a decent bit. Like I said, it's been a decent bit since we heard from you last. So, what are some of the big things that have happened with you? Recently? Oh man, it's been uh it's been a busy last couple months. Um, from from traveling to Portland whenever I can to visit my girlfriend um to just work um but you know i uh a couple about a month ago uh i got to go to twitchcon which is super sweet i'd never been um and actually got to hang out with anurag das and wilson hunter um dude you have such a good foghorn uh like sound effect thing oh, I, like he's eddie's yeah eddie's like doing this all like live it's not edited in by Phil. It's very good. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, um, uh, had a ton of fun. Um, just hanging around the convention, meeting Magic players, and streamers the like. And um, it was it's, it's a very very strange experience. TwitchCon. It's like the internet. It's like a pop out book for the internet. And I I can't quite explain. It's something you'll have to try. But um, went out for drinks with Anurag and Wilson. Had a wonderful time. Would do it again. We missed Bryant, of course. But uh, he was. We got Del Taco. We did together. get Del Taco together. That was great. Um, thank you, Donorog, for letting me crash on his couch, more or less. Um, then uh, I went to Hawaii a couple weeks ago. Uh, which, speaking of uh, speaking of humid, uh, you walk outside of that place and you just feel immersed. It feels like you're swimming through the air. It's it's so. Uh, it's it's great it's cool i the beaches were beautiful um i did all the hawaii things i went snorkeling went to the beaches zip lining um and because of that i i wouldn't even have called it a vacation i would it, it was like a travel we did a bunch of excursions and stuff so um i loved it i absolutely would do it again um but by the end of it i was i was so tired because we were from from the get-go we wake up go do stuff all day, have drinks at night, rinse, repeat for seven days. Um, <laughs> it's like a workout, but like the weirdest workout you've yeah, ever done. Exactly. Uh, but it's really cool. Um, I'd recommend it to anyone. Obviously we were in Kona on the big Island. Um, my first time there and I loved it. Um, w were you only in like one city or did you go around to a bunch of places? In we, Hawaii? so we went, 
Yeah, we were in Kona, and we went to all the different parts of the island, which might have been one of the reasons that it felt so, like, uh, even more active is because we were driving a lot, um, constantly mm. on the road, trying to make sure we squeeze in everything we can while we were there. Um, which, again, I, I, I'm not complaining because I had a wonderful time uh, and saw a lot of cool stuff and did a lot of cool things. Um and uh, those are those are the big things. Uh, other than that, I've been playing a lot of Pioneer. Uh, yeah, Pioneer. Can, can, I, can I tell you please. a secret, Eddie? I, I don't tell this. Don't don't tell this to anybody. Brian, Brian, take your headset off just for a second. I've been having a lot of fun playing Pioneer, and I don't know what it is about this format, but it's just got me hooked. And yeah, okay. That the captain's log out. I'm out. I have the. Deuces. We're, we're a pioneer podcast. I have now. the Pika shock face right now. Just imagine that. That's, oh, <laughs> that's me. Uh, yeah, it's super fun. It's a really fun format. Um, I, I've been playing spirits in pioneer and uh, it's kind of, uh, it's getting me refreshed. I was playing so much legacy, a lot of humans, obviously. Um, and the format has just been, uh, it's been a lot of Ren and Six, for lack of a better word. So I've needed kind of a break from mm. that. And uh, I've been playing Pioneer, but it's it's kind of, I can feel myself recharging. And today I was back to looking at my Legacy Humans list and starting to brew new cards. Gideon, Gideon Blackblade, I'm coming for you. We're trying some hotness. Um, I find something <laughs> very funny about the Legacy uh, craze for Pioneer recently. And it's that when you talk to most legacy players, they uh, just can't stand. They hate modern. They're like, modern's the enemy. I hate that format. It takes away from legacy. They announce Pioneer, which is just like modern having a child with standard. And all of a sudden, they're all okay, in love. I have, I have like a theory it, about this. And, and my theory is that modern is so close to legacy that it just feels like everything you're doing in modern is watered down legacy. Whereas pioneer is just different enough that you almost can't compare the two. I don't know if that makes sense. Sure. But legacy players have been able to play standard for the last five, six years. I mean, I okay. play every format, so I'm not biased or anything. I haven't played pioneer yet. I've just been really busy the last few weeks, but I do plan on playing it at some point. And legacy players have had no interest in play. Well, for the majority, there's some of you out there, but like, don't keep up with standard. I have another theory and that's, uh, dig through time, baby. What's up? And wilderness, like reclamation. Like what else do you want in life? I should just like, the reason that I'm playing pioneer is because my wilderness reclamations can't get dazed and or force willed i get to hit the f6 button and then i get to just like take all the turns so that's my answer for you that's why pioneers i'll see great. you in the one six bracket oh one thing no. i will say is that pioneer <laughs> has exposed me to veil of summer and that card is fucked up but in the best way i've i've really enjoyed casting that card against thoughtsies veil of summer in legacy is like it's i mean I feel like every time, so I, and I was thinking like Daniel Demato, where I'm gonna just put, pick up his name again. But every time I have resolved Veil of Summer, that the Cryptic Command effect in Legacy is just so powerful that I just feel like I win the game on the spot. And in a deck like Storm that Daniel was playing all weekend, like I feel that ability is magnified just like by like a hundred majillion 
trillion times. Like it's 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 absolutely absurd how good that card is. I think it doesn't get nearly enough love, and I, I kind of get it. Uh, you know, it it a lot of decks really can't afford to veil of summer, but if you are playing green, please give it a shot because it's a good card. Uh, there's a reason it's like really really expensive. Is it worse like, when you're untapping and cycling lonely sandbar? Okay. Damn, damn! You get you gonna hit me. You gonna hit me in like you gonna hit me where one. it hurts. Look, S- Sandbar is good. I had the sickest game against ninjas at a, in an Eternal Weekend trial where like I look at my hand and it's like Mox Diamond, Flooded Strand, Red and Six, Force of Will, and like no other lands. And I'm like, all right, keep. I'm like, uh, I forget who it was, but my friend was like behind me looking at me. And like, as soon as I draw my card for the turn, it's a lonely sandbar. And I say, don't you dare say a thing. Um, Cause like, obviously I had to channel the power of, of Gosu for a second. I went Mox Diamond, pitch the sandbar, play my strand, Ren and six, tick back up, get my lonely sandbar, drawing cards, like hashtag dirtle gang. Um, that's, that, that hurts my heart. Yeah rewarded never punished but yeah uh good times good good stuff pioneer pioneer is a good format i i give you that i mean maybe it's just like a like a it's like new and it's like shiny but yeah yeah absolutely i i I think that's part of it and but i'm having fun with it yeah that's what i have for pioneer i'm sorry eddie please no it's okay i just i want to i was gonna mention legacy or legacy next so if you want to say something about pioneer i do i think that Part of it is people love solving puzzles or trying to figure things out. And I have a feeling that once Pioneer is slightly solved, you're going to see a lot of people drift away from the format. Once it becomes like Black Green versus Marvel versus whatever. I'm just picking up decks here. Maybe it's still the ramp deck that's very popular. But maybe like once it's down to three or four decks that are tier one, I think you're going to see a lot of people realize that their brews aren't competitive anymore and they're going to slowly drift away and go back to modern or legacy or standard or whatever their thing is. Yeah, we'll see. I think the format is being solved extremely quickly because you had a lot of, you know, prominent players just trying to figure everything out right away. But I guess that's just something we'll see as time comes. Um, But in moving back to uh, the legacy vibe, uh, I played a league for the first time ever with uh, none other than the Epic Storm. Woo! I, I, I have been going back and forth with uh, Anthony Laverde about uh, playing this deck. He's he, he played a league with humans, and I've been telling him I would play a league with the Epic Storm. And I finally did. Uh, he let me borrow the deck. Thank you so much, Anthony. Um, and let me tell you, I suck at the Epic Storm. <laughs> I, I, it, it was fun. I want to do it again. Um, I, there are just numbers are hard, man. Like, dude, who thought? Who would have thought? Counting to like twenty or whatever the f- number you want to get to. Like, I, I was playing with Anthony once. We skyped a league together, and like the kind of things he was saying to me, he was just like, "All right, we're playing against Delver. Turn two. Uh, don't play your land yet. Play the brainstorm. So I was like, why? He's like, you'll see, you'll see. Play the brainstorm. I was like, all right, fine. So I play the brainstorm. My my opponent dazes the brainstorm, and then we go Lotus Petal, Red of Flame. You're dead. I was just like, what? How did you there do were, this? There were so um, many moments where I was just you know sitting there and looking at the cards in my hand, and I I, I felt it in my heart. I, I felt 
I can win here. I, th with these cards, I can win. But I, my brain did not did not apply. And I just, <laughs> okay, pass the turn. Let's draw another card, see what happens. Uh, Story of my so life. When, well, humans and TS are actually very similar. Uh, Grixis Goblins is an aggro deck, and so is humans. So you just put creatures on the table, and then That's you attack. That's true. That's true. Um, but I, I went one and four. Um, not great at all, but I won one match. I was happy with that. Um, killed someone with Grape Shot. I thought you'd be very proud of me, Bryant. Um, after they had Veiled of Summered. Actually, it was great. They Veiled of Summered in response to something. And I was like, okay, find the Grape Shot. Kill you. Felt good. Um, but yeah, I hope to play the deck some more. Uh, I'll give it a try. Hopefully, maybe get some tips, pro tips from our boys, Bryant and Anthony. Um, and yeah. Uh, oh, and I also want to say, uh, you guys have conditioned me, uh, your podcast. Every time I listen to Mr. Blue Sky by ELO, after the intro come in, comes in, 100% of the time expect Anurag to say, Yo, what up, fam? And it just <laughs> gets me every single time. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's me. That's me right now. Awesome. Cool. All right, so looks like the next segment that we've got today is feedback and uh uh well we we only have one one comment so uh for the next episode anybody who's listening to this uh give us give us what you got i mean we're about to say some pretty controversial stuff this episode so i'm pretty sure naturally we're going to be hearing a lot of stuff here but uh from jay osu or is that osu jay osu reddit user love the cast glad brian can sometimes keep honorog in check lol I feel like the energy level of the two even each other out. Yeah, we're like a DNA. I'm like the A's and the G's, and he's like the... Uh, damn, I was trying to look smart here with my science, and I don't know. But, yeah, I I actually... Um, I realized this I, when I went when I was at Eternal Weekend. Like I was going around and like I advertised myself as like a really high-energy commentator. I was like, yeah, when I was in the eighth grade... My my math teacher called me a puppy, and they were like, "You're hired," and I was just like, "Cool." Can I? Weird. You said the same thing when you applied to the Eternal Glory podcast. Dot com. Can I yeah. say it? when I when I listen to the podcast um, on my drive homes and stuff, I listen to it at uh, one point two five speed, and you know, Bryant sounds like he's speaking a little quickly, and Wilson, funny enough, sounds like he's speaking at a normal pace, and Anurag just. Shoom, Speed of light. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, I, uh, I, 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 I like to think that I can fill dead air uh, a lot, but it gets to the point where just like my brain doesn't shut down because I'm just like, what comes next? All right, what comes after this? What comes three turns in the future when my opponent's got two Delvers in play? I just baited their force will, and I know that I don't have a terminus on top of my deck. What then? Uh, so. Anyways, uh, but thanks for the comment, Jay. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you appreciate our chemistry. I really do think that we all work together. And I got to say, Eddie, our chemistry is also fantastic. Let's dive into today's topic. Uh, so we actually just wrapped up with Eternal Weekend. And I know that's like a transition, but I we got a lot to say. And we're already like 40 minutes in. So um Eternal Weekend was this past weekend, and the top eight was extremely diverse. We had seven out of eight different archetypes. That, no, I, I'm just kidding. Uh, we had six Delver decks in the top eight with uh, Storm and Bug Depths. Womp, and so today, womp. 
Yeah, and so today we're going to talk a little bit about you know what we saw in the top eight and why we think it came up, and uh, we, we've got a question that you know I certainly have some thoughts about. All Delver also... decks are the same. Yeah. So let's go into some detail. Um, Eddie, what were the top eight decks that we saw at Eternal Weekend? Okay, so in no particular order, we have uh, Is It Delver, piloted by Patrick Owens. Um kind of a point to make is this is more of the burn style is it delver um with storm yeah. chaser mage and fire blast or yeah fire blast and such um moving on we have uh four color delver piloted by jeremy fehan fehan one of those um classic basically <laughs> uh grixis or uh sorry teamer splashing black for uh the abrupt decays and uh grimag angular and such uh dan savage piloting another is it delver list um this one looking a little more like what we've seen uh more recently with uh arcanist and less burn more of a going mid-range g style um two brazen borrower. two brazen borrower which is super cool i really like that card we'll get to that later um another four color delver list um piloted by adam vincic i'm gonna say um i believe that's just rug delver yeah, it, it was mis yeah mislabeled as four color on the on the site because of surgical extraction or something in the sideboard but uh yeah yeah it's just not the rug delver deck also with stifles yeah the daryl daryl air style list this is this is mm-hmm. proper canadian um then we have our boy Daniel D'Amato, or as I hope it's pronounced, D'Amato, um, on Ad Nauseum Tendrils. All right, we're going to have to kick Eddie out of the cast. We can't have that. <laughs> More like we have to kick Brian out of the cast. D'Amato, D'Amato. yeah. Who doesn't love it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> moving on, another Teamer Delver deck um, piloted by Tom Hertfelder. Um, very. I believe Tom actually won the event. Is that he correct? Did. He did, yeah. He played against Dan in the finals, Dan Savage in the finals. Very cool. Very cool. Congratulations to Tom. And Turbo Depths, piloted by a humans chat member, Jason Murray. Why he wasn't playing human, AKA... I don't know. But congratulations to him anyway. Yeah, AKA Louis Nil um, on on uh, social media. And uh, Jason, congratulations. Uh I, I see him in my chat all the time, so I'm going to give him a shout-out here. I really do uh, – like, I was really impressed with this play, whatever I saw over the weekend. I mean, the the top eight match was a little bit rough for him. Uh, remember, Bryant, you were talking about the, the fail rate of combo, and I think it hit him in the top eight, like, at the obviously, like, worst possible time. But uh, otherwise, like, you know, whatever from what I saw, I was very impressed with his play. And, you know, honestly, he deserved to be there. And one, one caveat, uh, too, is um, – I don't know if we mentioned this, but Jason was actually on uh, bug turbo deaths. So the the Tom oh, okay. Hep special, if you will. Hey, uh, just a note: the list that we have in front of us are only six of the top eight decks. The list have not been published yet by Card Titan. The other two decks that were not discussed were there was a second four color Delver deck, and what was the other deck? A, a second Rug Delver deck, I believe. Was that it? Uh, it was. It was basically two blue red, two four color, two rug, and then one of each of the. Uh, combo decks. Oh, uh, I think we might have one mislabeled. According to Reddit, one of them was Bug Delver, unless that was a typo. That's a typo, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
Never believe there, Reddit. There are seven in our images here. I think. <laughs> what are you talking about? Reddit is literally like I want their feedback, right? Don't don't brainwash them here. But anyways, I think the point that we want to drive home is that Delver absolutely massacred this event. I mean, obviously you look at like you know the top sixteen, maybe the top thirty-two to get a better idea of it. But like the winners bracket was like just Delver like floating to the top like an ice cube. Like it was. It's 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 pretty crazy, uh, like how well Delver has been doing lately, and I know exactly like what card is is causing this to happen. A both by including the card and by not including the card. This is gonna be weird, but I think like Red and Six is like driving Delver. It's like it's really carrying Delver really 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 hard to the point where you know I'm not even sure like like so. Uh, Toby Henke on the Channel Fireball uh, website wrote an article about the GP results for Atlanta. And what he did was he took, like, all the matches that were played and then found, uh, like, a matchup versus matchup uh, number and percentage. And what he ended up finding out was that Rug Delver, basically, Team Delver, had a 55% win rate. You want to hear something crazy? You remember when Deathrite Shaman got banned? You know what uh, number Watsi cited? for uh, their reason to ban Deathrite. They said Deathrite was present in 55% or no, it was just like omnipresent in the format and like was had a 55% win rate, which means uh, they were not happy to see, uh, you know, just a card that played, you know, do that well, which means uh, who knows? Like in the future, you Red and, Red and Six may not be a safe card to, to uh, you know, invest in and play with and you know make a new best friend i would like to see maybe if watsy does have any plans for whatever you know bannings that they're gonna do is if they could like tell us like you know in advance like hey we've noticed that red and six is doing really well we're gonna keep our eye on this and then you know that way we get like a heads up sort of thing but um yeah in in, in general I think, and let me know what you guys think, Eddie and Brian. There, there is this growing sentiment that it's like Ren and Six is um, a card that should be banned, or that like you know it's it's not as broken as Treasure Cruise, for example, but it, it makes legacy games very uninteresting and unfun. So hold on, Eddie, hold your horses. I I saw you trying to jump the gun. What I found interesting was I was at home watching coverage and a lot of people weren't screaming ban uh, Ren and Six. They were screaming ban Oko. And it's I've seen a similar sentiments in other places, uh, Facebook groups and other various websites. Oko was in one of these dollar lists. Uh, I think people are assuming that there's more of them. I know that there was two uh, decks playing Oko in the Legacy Challenge this week that made top eight. But the numbers just aren't there compared to Ren and Six. And Ren and Six, I think, is uh, a little more subtle than Deathrite Shaman or Treasure Cruise. It doesn't seem like you're losing the game the second it resolves like you would Deathrite Shaman or Treasure Cruise because you see a more immediate impact with those cards. Ren and Six is a card that rewards you for playing a longer game. And these Delver decks traditionally had a very poor long game. And now Ren and Six has made their late game incredibly powerful to the point where they've essentially pushed Miracles out of the metagame. And you see very little four-color control now because the Delver decks have the early game 
and the late game covered. Quick correction. And I think Oko that's was what's actually pushing in them. three of the top eight lists. Two of them were in the sideboard, but regardless. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay, so there's some sideboard Okos. Thank you, Eddie. Uh, but there's very little reason to play Four Color or Miracles now or even Stoneblade when your Delver deck is doing everything. And I think that's where we're seeing the 55% against the field. And that's counting players that may not be the most skilled, but they're just playing the best deck in the format. And then if you count the skilled players, you know, the ones making top eight, they're probably running around 70 to 72% because they know what they're doing. They're playing the best deck with the most powerful cards. And the cream of the crop really rises. And that's why we're seeing six out of the eight Delver decks in the top eight of Eternal Weekend. Yeah, uh, it's it's funny that this comes up because I was hanging out with uh, Max Gilmore, who happens to be a good friend of mine over the weekend. And um, we were talking about this exact thing and about Renin 6 and kind of its effect on the format. And what we basically boiled it down to was like Renin 6, I think, would be fine if it only applied to the decks that it was, you know, designed for the lands, the loams, the those those style of decks once you put it into a hyper efficient shell like a delver deck it just adds so many more layers of of long longevity of of kind of locking out your opponent that that delver just historically um didn't have access to right Mm -hmm. yeah i mean the way i look at it is like the one thing that we have going for us against Delver is that it doesn't have card advantage, right? Like on turn 10, they top deck that daze and it's, it's detrimental because they can't afford to top deck that daze, Right. But now it's just like on turn like 10 or whatever, they're drawing multiple cards a turn, whether it be a land. I mean, you know, however you want to Which phrase probably it, like not the, because they've it, already taken them all out for what it's worth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they're, like, cycling, like, waterlogged groves or, you know, fiery islets or, like, they've just ultimated uh, the planeswalker or something like that. Um, it just it just, it just, just feels like we're, we're breaking uh, rules, I guess, in the sense that, like, Delver is, a, like, decks are supposed to have downsides, right? So, for example, we've talked about it before, how, like, Astrolabe means that you don't really get to punish these four-color decks like you used to because, well, they just have basics and then all their colors. Um, but here I'm thinking like, uh, the same thing applies to Delver because, well, you know, they're supposed to like fall off in the late game, or at least that was what was so beautiful about the deck. Right. Or at least the, you know, just like playing against the deck is that like they had a really good early game, but then, you know, the longer you were able to stall the game out, the, you know, the more of a chance you had to, to come back in. And I feel like that's just not the case Yeah, uh, as much anymore. Yeah. One thing yeah. I'll say too, is it, it, also gives Delver this um, this uh, determinist deterministic kill almost to it, where it almost gives Delver a turn two or three lock that Delver never had before. Right? Once, I mean, Delver could stifle and wasteland you out of the game before um, while holding up counter magic and such, but there was always hope that you could draw more lands and kind of dig your way out of it. Versus Renin Six kind of just takes that all away. It did feel a little similar during the Death Rite era, though. If your opponent was ever on the play, went turn one Death Rite into turn two Leovold or, or True Name, 
those games felt very similar where you're like, okay, I lost this game. I'm on the draw. My opponent went death right into uh, into a three mana threat. And then you, you were just in such a hole that you felt like you could never get out. And I think Ren and Six is somewhat similar, uh, but it often de- it's, it depends on if it's backed by a Wasteland or a Waterlogged Grove or something like that. If it's a fetch land, it's still very good, but it's not as punishing as the other two. Yeah. I think, okay, so here's here's where I want to go with this. There's a couple directions I want to go because I want to tie this back to the topic that we're talking about. But the first idea is that I think one of the reasons why Red and Six is so powerful is just that it's kind of like what you're saying, Eddie, right? Like, it's, it's, it's succeeding in these decks, these hyper-efficient decks that, like, they don't really care what Red and Six is. It's just, like, it's a powerful threat, obviously, but, like, the rest of their deck is also so good that it just makes their Red and Sixes better than anybody else's Red and Sixes. And so then the question is, is, like, well, okay, they get a Red and Six into play, like, just kill it, right? Like, just answer the Red and Six. And I think that's another thing that's just, like, so tricky about this card is just that there's not really any good way to answer it, right? Like, you think about uh, some of the most commonly played answers to Planeswalkers. Like, I can think of, like, yeah, I mean, like, if you look at some of the answers that, you know, you have for Planeswalkers nowadays, it's like, you've got Pyroblast for Oko, like, you've got maybe Abrupt Decay for Ren and Six, but these cards are not, like, good answers, right? Like, Pyroblast doesn't kill a Ren and Six, Oko puts you into black and green colors, you know? I, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that, like, the answers for Planeswalkers has not aged nearly as well as the Planeswalkers themselves, and so... That's why people are saying, like, get rid of this card because there's just no real efficient way to answer it. I mean, like, you could argue, hey, I've got a, I've got a creature. I can turn it sideways. But, like, your opponent's going to be min-maxing. They're going to block your Tarmogoyf with their Tarmogoyf, that kind of thing. I saw a couple of things on Reddit that I actually really liked regarding making Planeswalkers worse so that way they're not so dominant. Uh-huh. And it goes back to the rules change from, like, six months ago where uh, they took yeah, away, yeah. like, Smash the Smithereens, dealing damage to Planeswalkers and Death Touch should kill Planeswalkers. I think those are both fixes that would make these cards, like Oko and Ren and Six, not as bad. Wait, Death Touch kills Planeswalkers? No, it should. So one thing, Eddie, that you brought up that was really interesting was that Ren and Six is really just being abused in these hyper-efficient shells. Uh, you know, like this Delver deck that has, like, Days and Force of Will, and that increases the power of Ren and Six. It makes e- their Ren and Six is better than every other Ren and Six, and, like, I don't know, you're just able to leverage the card so much more uh, better, I guess. And, I mean, the easy answer is is just, like, you know, the easy cop-out is just to say, well, just kill the Ren and Six, you know? Like, uh, you could, you know, if it's so powerful of a card, just focus on beating it. But I think that is, in and of itself, the problem, is that there's really, like, not a good way to do that there's there's not good planeswalker removal right like the planeswalkers have definitely scaled in power like especially this year uh where red and six is the kind of card that's just like immune to a lot right uh, lightning bolt does not interact with it very profitably uh abrupt decay is uh, like it's just a very in- mana intensive card and locks you into like certain decks uh forces certain play patterns rather uh, you know Council's Judgment is the best white removal for it, which is honestly just kind of unacceptable because you're trading down on mana. Uh, all in all, what I'm trying to say is this, like, Red and Six is a good card because, or is a much better card because there just aren't good answers for the card. Um, plain and simple, right? The The Planeswalkers that we've got this year, 
have have scaled in power, but the, the answers to planeswalkers have not scaled into in power in the same to the same degree that you know the planeswalkers have gotten better. So there's definitely like a, a desync, a mismatch there, and I and I think. Well, that... everyone also quit playing Magmatic Sinkhole, which is a very effective way to answer planeswalkers, in my opinion. Like five damage up front is quite a bit. Yes, yes and no. I mean, that handles Ren and Six when it first comes out. But if more people are playing Oko, that doesn't even deal with an Oko as soon as it comes out. Oko ticks up to six. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say like Magmatic Sinkle is exactly the kind of like symptomatic card that you know Watsi has printed, and I think it's like cool that they're doing these kind of things. But I just don't think it really solves the problem. They need to play because like there are multiple reasons, right? You you play Ren and Six, you play your Oko, you tick up. With Ren and Six, you get a card back. So if they get Sinkhole, then you know you're down a card. Well, uh, they're never going to print cheap Planeswalker removal that nets you a card. It, like people want that, it's never going it's, to it's, exist. And I'm saying, I'm saying it really should happen. It should, and it, it, it's almost agree. at this point like they're they're coming out with the removal for it, but then the next set coming out with a new Planeswalker that just ignores that removal. You know, like it's almost mm-hmm. like they're 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 almost telling us like, oh, look at this new removal spell, but then saying like, oh, but it doesn't matter because we had to make this new cool planeswalker that we want to promote not get stopped by that removal spell. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. I mean, like I feel like other video games do that a lot, or other games do that a lot. For example, like in League of Legends, you'll have like patch changes where they'll like buff certain characters that they might want to see uh, played more you know than other ones things like that and that could be the case with like how we cycle through planeswalkers and things like that where you know first we were seeing a lot of narsa teferi and karn then a lot of red and six now maybe a lot of oko and that's just based on like whatever surrounding cards are printed with it so maybe you're right brian logistically like it'll never happen but i mean from a from a like a theoretical perspective i think it really does need to happen one or two mana removal that nets you card advantage would be incredibly unhealthy for the game I just don't think that's where magic should be. And if someone's investing mana into a cost of, like, play, like Ren and Six is, it has a cost associated with it. Like, you're forced into playing red-green. Uh, it's why we haven't seen Grixis Delver. Or playing Oko, now you're playing blue-green, which isn't a super desirable color combination outside of, like, Rug Delver. Uh, like, there's cost to playing these cards. And just because they're getting a food token or an elk or a land doesn't mean that you should get to draw a card off a removal spell or anything silly like that. Um, like cheap, efficient removal that kills a planeswalker is super desirable, and I don't think that there should be much tacked onto it. That's my personal opinion, and I know it's not popular, but I think that would be incredibly unhealthy for the game in the long run. Yeah, I mean that's obviously like the hard part, right? Like I spent a long time, just like a you know, in in recent, just trying to figure out like what would be a good answer like what like you know you're kind of right right if you make an answer that's too broken then you just completely shut out the cards entirely so it is a matter of balancing and i think like you want to have to work for it but also you don't want it to be uh so uh hard to resolve or so hard to you know interact that it's not worth playing the card like like a card that says destroy target planeswalker draw a card is probably not good enough you know what I mean? And that just tells you like how, because it's just like too narrow, that kind of effect. So that just tells you like how constrained the list of potential answers actually is. I don't know if it's something like, like an abrupt decay that, you know, destroys, I never mind. You know, I'm not even going to try and like, that's, it just hurts my head to try to think of like possible solutions, but I so, get, I, uh, there's one thing I would like to see. 
uh, and it's been brought up a couple of times in the last week, but I think that they should undo the uh, Planeswalkers rule change that they implemented six months ago, where effects like Eidolon or the Great Rebel or Smash to Smithereens or Chandra, uh, Torture Defiance, where the damage off these effects can't deal damage to Planeswalkers anymore. And I think that was that really uh, pumped up Planeswalkers to make them even better, because now these Planeswalkers left are going unchecked. Uh, where previously you could hose them down because six months ago, no one was complaining that Planeswalkers were too good. Uh, Jace the Mind Sculptor was barely seeing any play. I mean, you probably didn't like that, but we weren't having the issues we're having now. And uh, something I've seen that I actually really like, and I, I wouldn't have thought of this on my own, but creatures with Death Touch killing Planeswalkers if they hit them. So uh, there's the Curd Ape with uh, Revolt, for example. It's, it becomes a 2-3 Death Touch for a green. So you could play a turn 1 Curd Ape that has Death Touch. So that immediately kills Ren and 6. That card would be incredibly good. Where right now it's... Yeah, laughable. I think... I, I honestly think the, the conversation of... of you know, how, how we could fix Planeswalkers, how, how Planeswalkers have affected the format and stuff could be, you know, like it's its own episode of a podcast. There's so much to talk about. Um, like Alan Wu recently had a tweet saying like, why can't we change Planeswalkers that, at, you know, we can direct the damage the creatures deal after blockers have been assigned or something like that, you know? That's kind of one way to approach it. Um, there are so many ways you can take it, but it, it, it has... Um, I would say um, more or less negatively affected Legacy. Um, it's, I'm also very biased because I play X1 creatures that just die <laughs> to Ren and Six, but no, I, I I don't think I'm. You're not alone in this, right? Because like, if if there is an example that should just be very clear cut and sort of prove this point, like just look at me. I used to play blue white. I used to play swords to plowshares and terminus, and now I'm just like a I like I literally played eleven planeswalkers in my eternal weekend deck because I just think that there's not much reason to be doing anything else because uh, these planeswalkers are just too strong. Um, I'm gonna use this opportunity to transition to the other soft answer to planeswalkers that we have in the format right now, um, which is kind of just to like ignore them. You know what I mean? All right, you play a turn two Ren and Six, I play a turn two Merit Lodge, enjoy. You play a turn three Oko, I play a Dark Ritual into Tendrils of Agony, you're dead. Uh, and I think that's kind of just like, it's definitely like one of the more drastic answers, but if I have to be completely honest, that's like probably the the best answer that we've got so far. And sort of going all the way around back to the circle, I think we see a lot of that in the top eight lists of uh the eternal weekend uh na champs so i think we should start with blue red delver uh and this one should be pretty easy right like if you look at the deck list the first thing you should notice is that blue red delver is very both of the lists that top aided are very immune to red and six right and the first thing uh, about them is that they just have a lot of basics three basics in dan's list four basics in uh patrick's list uh, yeah, Wasteland Recursion be damned. I'm going to get my mana into play, and I'm going to cast my spells. And then uh, the the other thing that I noticed about the blue-red list is that uh, the creatures, not all the creatures die to the minus one. There, so most of them are, are pretty are pretty resilient. Yeah, that's what I was, uh, that's what I was going to say about Patrick Owens' list. 
the mm -hmm. only creature that cares about Renin Six in his deck is Delver of Secrets. Yeah. Which I, I think is such a good way to attack that game plan. Yeah. And We're also seeing a very spicy card that I haven't personally seen in about two years. Storm Chaser Mage. That card has a very fat butt. Yeah. I mean, especially since, like, Gataxian Probe got banned, the efficiency of Storm Chaser Mage also kind of just, like, went down the toilet with the probe. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's cool to see that uh, Patrick has sort of, like, brought this back. I, I do know Patrick, he is a very burn... Well, you know, the, my experiences with Patrick have been very burn-oriented, very specifically, like, I think he top-aided Eternal Extravaganza 7 with just, like, straight burn. Uh, and then when I talked to him at the event, he was just like, yeah, I put Delver and all these other creatures in the deck because burn sometimes has a fail rate. The margins are really close. Like if you draw one extra land, you die. But you know what uh, does a really good chain lightning impression? I'll give you a hint. It's Delver of Secrets. Um, yeah, this I, I I love this archetype. I love this the style of Delver. Um, when I was first getting into Magic Online, this is the deck I played. These were the cards I, got, I had access to, to be honest with you. But I just had so much fun playing it. That is the blue-red spells uh, prowess deck. It was just uh, so much fun to play. Um, and I got to say, of all the deck lists I've seen that play this card, this is got to be my favorite Dreadhorde Arcanist deck. Um, between, you know, something like 10 to 12 cantrips um, and lightning bolt plus chain lightning, it just makes that, it gives that card so many options from uh, finding and drawing more cards to, to just dead out killing your opponent, um, which I, th I think is what really, really, really makes that card so efficient. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at, okay, so like, yes, Patrick's list has some very resilient creatures uh, in, in the frame of Red and Six, but also I would make an argument that the creatures in Dan's deck, uh, Dan Savage's deck are, I just love saying his name, by the way, um, are also really, I mean, they're reasonably resilient, right? So Dan had like two copies of Young Pyromancer, which I think they, uh, you, that's not really where you want to be. But when you pair that with Stifle to maybe, uh, you know, Stifle a Red and Six activation, suddenly this Pyromancer looks really good because you can kill a Red and Six. And even Brazen Borrower, which is a 3-1, which would normally die to Red and Six, I, I would make the argument that Brazen Borrower isn't even that bad just by virtue of it having Flash. You know, you use the first half to bounce the Ren and Six, and then you, you, you run it back, you put the 3-1 into play on their end step, and if you have any pressure, even one Lightning Bolt, like, you know, then you're in a pretty good spot. So, Flash is kind of cool. Yeah, it also um, gives... Um, one of the problems that Blue-Red decks had in the past is uh, main deck answers to Merit Lodge, where Brazen Bar would just solves that in one card. Yeah, it's extremely extremely option rich and i really really like cards that have um just like lots of like random like you can do this or you can do that like uh, just options options accessibility to plays is like one of the things that i look for the most in, in magic cards uh for, i think that's why planeswalkers are especially powerful is because they can do one of multiple things uh, in a turn so you can basically complicate and and choose your own path on how you want to win games and and so these cards they, they kind of do that um and that's pretty cool uh but i will say that like i think 
it's especially important for uh, that this that this blue that these blue red Delver decks are somewhat immune to red and six, uh, mostly because of the dynamic that red and six creates, like the sub games that it creates in mirror matches and just like you know in in, in general. Um, I've heard from basically a large portion of the Delver players that you know I I track and or talk to you know magic about whatever that i that i trust that um red and six just makes these mirrors absolutely miserable right like imagine a scenario where like you're on the play or you're, you're on the draw you play your deliver and then your opponent goes all right red and six days back up kill your deliver nice game you know that kind of thing like or like it's one person has a red and six and then they find a wasteland and then the game is suddenly over with such little effort. Like these kind of situations, these kind of scenarios are just so, I don't know. They're not, they're not, they don't, they're not interactive. Mm. You know I, I, mean? I would say that's even reminiscent of uh, the death right shaman era, right? Where it always seemed like the, de- the creature who had that, ac- that active death right shaman was just so much further ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's, that's actually really telling. I really like that example because that just sort of tells you maybe like I know Ren and Six isn't Death Right Shaman, but that you can make these sort of like analogies is a, a, a little bit alarming. So, yeah, I don't know. Being immune to Ren and Six is, is really good. And I think that the Blue Red Delver decks are have minimized the impact of Ren and Six uh, is a real reason to play it. And that's why I think they're in the top eight. Um, a couple cards that I want to talk about in these decks so we've kind of already mentioned them briefly but i think stifle is a big one uh we brian we did talk about stifle in the last episode right in Darylayer's variation of rug delver okay so maybe maybe uh just refresh my memory uh what are some of the reasons that stifle you know is good right now because i i get i get the i kind of get the feeling that it's not as ridiculous as it used to be to play stifle um yeah, walk me through it. Well, a couple months ago, there was a list floating around uh, MBC uh, Delver, and that put the impression in people's minds that Stifle wasn't a good card. Daryl Ayers decided that wasn't true, top aided a PTQ at GP Atlanta, Magic Fest Atlanta, whatever you'd like to call it. And since then, Stifle has been picking up numbers. And in the last episode, we talked about how when the card is not expected, it becomes a lot better. And I think we're actually at the point in time where people are expecting Stifle again. Uh, when I was at the Leaving Legacy Open, a lot of people were playing around Stifle and respecting Stifle again. And that's when Stifle starts to lose value. And especially after Eternal Weekend, I think that with multiple Stifle Delvers being in top 8, it's going to get played around more often. And we're going to see Stifle maybe go on the down tick a little bit, just because... If people are playing around it, it's you're not going to get these two like you're not going to get the blowouts. One of my favorite and... things to say um, involving magic and a stifle specifically is stifle is good when it's bad, and bad when it's good. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I see where you're taking this, Brian, and I, I kind of want to say that like if you look at uh, like the like a cycle, like a circle of where stifle, how to evaluate it in the meta, right? So. When when NBC rug was a thing, like you know this Jundi rug deck was a thing, Stifle was probably really good because nobody expected it. Okay, cool. So there's that surprise factor. Um, but I also want to say that you know the deck that Daryl won the PTQ with 
was structurally very, very different, right, than what you're saying. Like, it was an actual tempo deck. And I think maybe this is uh, sort of just saying, like, uh, like this is attacking the format that has adapted to um, the the mid-rangey nature of a card like Red and Six. And it's just like saying, well, hey, all right, you want to play this mid-range arms race? I'm going to go right under you. Uh, and and knock you out before you get a chance to set up. Um, I mean, Stifle, obviously, like, it has some really cool interactions, you know, like, uh, I don't know, well, turn one, Stifle your fetch line, ha, huh? you don't get to play magic. Or, I don't know, just, like, I was playing this weekend, and, like, you know, Stifle, like, almost stopped my, my Ren and Six Planeswalker ultimate. It, uh, I think we saw in, like, the top eight of Eternal Weekend where, you know, Stifle did some pretty cool things against... Uh, other other like you know red and six activations or dark depths activation to like buy a turn to deal some more damage like st- tactical things like that um i mean obviously like stifle is the kind of card that you can play around it and it's the kind of card where you know uh it, it can fall off but it does force certain play patterns on your opponent and the rest of this deck is i in my in the rest of these decks uh, sorry the rest of dan's deck is is kind of like well situated to take advantage of all right well if your opponent's not going to do anything for a couple turns like i can cement an advantage and so i guess i i know i'm like rambling here so just tell me when to stop but like one, stop. One... <laughs> so something that i actually would like to say really quick is uh when i'm looking at these deck lists the six that we have out of the top eight there's a creature missing that we've hyped quite a bit on this podcast and I think it's missing because of Renin Six, and that would be Hex Drinker. It's not in a single Delver list that is in the top eight, and that's kind of alarming because a month ago Hex Drinker was on the upswing. We were seeing two copies in almost every single Rug Delver list that we saw. Some people were talking about playing three. Jarvis said four was unacceptable, and now we're seeing zero. Uh, I'm still pretty high on Hex Drinker, but I think maybe Renin Six has gotten the best of it. And I think part of it might be, like you said, the play pattern of Stifle. That, it's really tough to leave open Stifle and play Hex Drinker. Yeah, and that kind of goes along with um, one of the reasons people were playing Hex Drinker is to have un- to have more turn one plays. And Stifle fills that role as well. Um, it, it gives the, the rug deck something to do on turn one when otherwise they would be pondering or something a little more proactive in that way. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a menacing because I was I was actually talking about this uh, uh, over the weekend, and I was just like, Hex Drinker and Stifle don't really seem to be best friends because like you actively want to pour your mana into Hex Drinker, and Stifle is like, nope, never using my mana, not now, not ever. Like I got to keep my mana open as long as they have a fetch land and play that kind of thing, you know. So it kind of kind of makes sense. I mean, Hooting Mandrels is like the natural go to to pair with uh, Stifle just because it is like that one mana green threat. And then in the four color decks, generally speaking, Hex Drinker gets uh, outclassed by Gurmag Angler, or which is yeah, I, I would say I, outclassed is a fair word since uh, you really just need uh, it's like one a one time investment of one mana rather than you know a bajillion mana to make your 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 big beat stick. I do, I don't love Hooting Mandrills in the Rug Delver decks. I think that the card is fine, but when you're running Tarmogoyf. It can sometimes shrink your Tarmogoyf by accident. You're also running Ren and Six, and one of the things with Mandrills is you really want to exile those extra lands, and with 
Ren and Six, you really want to be returning them. So there's a little bit of friction. And originally, people were running mandrills over a card like Nimble Mongoose. And I totally get that. Mongoose isn't really good when it's attacking for one into a Ren and Six that's just going to plus up the next turn. But I think the friction there can sometimes be a little bit much. And I w personally, I'd rather see True Names there. And I get that True Names tough to cast in your Stifle Dollar deck, but... I don't know. It pitches to the six forcibles you're playing. It doesn't have friction. It's just something I would personally rather play. You want to hear a really cool play? Uh, so last week in the LPL, it was uh, in the winner's bracket, world champion Javier Dominguez against teammate and beloved video creator Andrea Mangucci. And uh, uh, Javier was playing uh, his Stifle Rugdelver deck. And he had the coolest play involving Hooting Mandrels, which was, all right, uh, targeting your... Sorry, Mangucci had a Goyf in play, so uh, Javier pinged it with his Renin 6 and then bolted it uh, so that it had 4 damage, but it was a 4-5. And then he cast uh, Hooting Mandrels uh, to basically, quote, uncounterably kill or deal that last point of damage to, uh, to uh, the Goyf which was really cool because he exiled his graveyard and took got rid of all the sorceries. So then the Goyf died to what state-based effects or something like that. I don't know. It's kind of cool. That is cool. I mean, it's a little bit of a corner case, but it is. Yeah. Cool. I, back to what Brian was saying about preferring true name nemesis over the hooting mandrels is one really cool thing about mandrels is it kind of just ignores true name. Um, and if you're expecting other rug Delver players to be playing true name, then mandrels is probably right where you want to be because Attack for four, they block, d deal three, you know? Trample is a real, real keyword in the mirror. Yeah. And, I mean, in the context of the blue-red Delver decks is, like, remember, like, the whole idea of this thing is, uh, well, in the burn deck, I think it kind of makes sense why we don't want true name, right? Because, well, three mana for the for a true name, which is a powerful threat, uh, is not exactly in line with the, the bolt your face. Okay, cool. Attack with Delver, bolt your face. Okay, cool. Bolt your face, bolt your face, bolt your face. You know what I mean? Like, true name is just like, it's 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 uh it's it's trying to play a much longer game than Patrick wants to do. So I, I definitely I definitely understand why you know he wouldn't want true name in that style of deck. Maybe like a utility copy in like sideboard matchup for for sideboard matchups or, or games. Sorry, where uh maybe the burn burn your face isn't like that good of a plan, and you need some other stuff to go on. Uh, but yeah, that kind of makes sense. And then in the in the stifle list that dan savage played it is kind of like i like the brazen borrower a lot more actually now that i think about it because it just works so much better with this sort of like reactive controly uh basically the reason to not play chair name is because brazen borrower synergizes so well with the sort of tempo-y draw go control you strategy while also beating you down so i want to highlight a couple of like interactions that i i noticed of brazen borrower in the tournament and the first one was when I actually played against Dan himself in round four, uh, I had a red and six in play, and it kept ticking up, ticking up, ticking up. And then when I ticked it up to seven, you know what happened? It got bounced back to my hand, so I couldn't even ultimate it the next turn. And that actually gave uh, Dan time to draw into a stifle that he was sandbagging for when I would ultimate the red and six. Um, so that was kind of a very powerful, like, time-buying opportunity while also, you know, sort of... I don't know, it's just like a versatile controlish play that I think was super cool. But more powerful than that was in the uh 
is it Delver versus Teamer Delver matchup in like the top eight where Dan actually completely humiliated uh, Tarmogoyf with Brazen Borrower. So he had a Dreadhorde Arcanist that he was uh, using to take over the game, uh, buying back Brainstorms and Ponders. And he was, you know, his opponent puts a Tarmogoyf into play and uh, Dan's just like, hmm, okay, yeah, that resolves. End of turn, bounce it back to your hand. All right, you play it again. All right, cool. Flash in my 3-1, attack over it so that, you know, your Tarmogoyf is basically doing nothing. Okay, bounce it again with this other one. Like, I, I don't know. It was it was very impressive, and I definitely see, like, how it sort of fills the gaps in, in this Stifle-oriented deck just by virtue of it being an instant, instant uh, speed spell. It is. It, re- <laughs> it really is. So... And I, I don't know. I feel like if we talk about like Storm and depths, I mean, it's pre- it's pretty apparent that Storm is is well positioned right now. I mean, Brian, you probably have a lot more to say about this than I do. So, why why is Storm so good right now? Well, Anurag, it goes back to what you were saying. Run and six is very popular, and one of your best methods of defeating Run and six is by going over it, which means playing combo. You have your Dark Depths, your Storm, your Reanimator. And Storm is very effective at beating Run and Six because it just plays an entirely different game. Uh, Depths interacts with Run and Six due to Wasteland, but still, if you're making a 2020 on turn two, who cares about Run? And when you get this sort of weird triangle between a 2020 Tundra's Vagony and Run and Six, Storm is going to beat the 2020 a majority of these games, somewhere between 65 and 70 percent. And you don't really want to be playing Depths if you're going to be running into Tendrils combo. Reanimator is kind of the odd one out at the moment. Uh, it's certainly a powerful deck, but right now it's just not in that triangle. And the Ren and Six decks can sometimes defeat Storm, but sometimes aren't. So I think that the Ren and Six decks are often slightly unfavored against Storm, which really puts Storm in a great spot. I know that Daniel Damano did well, uh, Cyrus Corman Gill uh, won GP Atlanta. I've actually top fourd or top aided the last four events I've played in, between a legacy challenge, leaving a legacy. Um, there's two others, uh, PTQ, and something else. Uh, but Tundra's Vagony is just super good right now, and people don't respect Storm enough. It was a Twitter conversation I was having with Harlan Fryer or Freer. I don't know how to say Harlan's last name. Sorry, Harlan. Uh, I know that he listens to our podcast. Right now. Tendrils, like, people don't prepare for it like they should. So people are building their cyborgs for event, and they're like, ah, what are the odds I face Storm? There's, like, ten good Storm players in a room of a thousand. And they just don't respect Storm. They're like, what are the odds I face one of these ten people? Or five people, or whatever the percentage is. Because Storm is usually, in paper, such a small amount. It's like 2% of the field. Are you really going to respect that 2% of the field duck? I don't know. What do you guys think? Like, is it worth preparing for in paper i know storm online has a much higher percentage so that's a little i definitely bit always keep storm in mind but again the deck that i happen to play happens to be a very good matchup against storm so i i tend to worry about the other factors like the rug delvers of the world i actually think for well for me it's just weird i have this unnatural tendency to have cards in my sideboard for storm despite that probabilistically like I won't run into it, but I, I don't know. It just feels like agnostic of like if I run into storm or not. Right. 
Storm is just, or ad nauseum tendrils very specifically, is so resilient. Like, this is going to sound weird, but when I play against Storm, I don't visualize it as a control versus combo matchup. I visualize it as a control versus control matchup where my opponent is using hand disruption and, you know, uh, now I guess cards like uh, Veil of Summer and things like that to sort of like... Uh, you know, swerve and dodge and sculpt uh, a winning a winning game plan, or you know how they can like fight through you know multiple counter spells. And I'm doing the exact opposite, where I'm just like, all right, well, you know, if they do this, then I have to have this sort of uh, you know uh, I have to be prepared for this route or that route or you know that sort of thing. So even when I do respect Storm, the matchups are tough, and I think. I, I like to design a deck that can can have a good chance against everything in the room. And Storm is one of those decks that's just like it approaches games from such a unique angle that like I, I do understand like, you know, you can say like, like I won't play my Flusterstorms. Instead, I'll play Spell Pierce because I don't think I need Flusterstorm for Storm because I won't play it. But are you really going to risk your entire tournament on like the matchup lottery? Maybe it's statistically like correct to do so. That's kind of weird. Uh that's actually a really interesting thought now that I think about it. But from, uh, like, I guess, uh, Magic Online perspective, I run into Storm so often that, like, I'm sort of conditioned into just having a a list that has at least some cards in the sideboard for, for the matchup. It's kind of cool just to see how, how the decks that are succeeding are basically, like, they're supporting the general sentiment that Ren and Six is, is pretty powerful, that Ren and Six sucks, and... uh in doing so, there are strategies that just try to invalidate that card very, very specifically to the point where, you know, these Rug Delver decks that, like, leverage, uh, they leverage Ren and Six so heavily, you know, they lose percentage points by, by relying on this card because all these other decks are exploiting that. One thing I'll say is uh, if we could please have a moment of silence and pour one out for the homie planes, nowhere to be seen. Um, which I, I think is super unfortunate because I think decks like Blue White Stoneblade and uh, DNT are great for the format. So um, the fact that those are almost non-existent at this point um, is super disheartening. Um, and I, when De- Death and Taxes, uh, this is coming from the guy who plays humans, um, but when Death and Taxes is one of the best decks in the format, I think it's a great format. Um, and the fact that it's you know off to oblivion right now is is a bummer, and I hope uh, hope that changes sometime soon. All right, so uh, we have a third section, and it's a little bit different. But I was watching through Twitch chat and reading everyone's comments throughout Eternal Weekend, and there are a lot of people clamoring for something to be banned out of these, uh, quote, Delver secret decks. And a lot of people are pointing towards Ren and Six, and our conversation so far has also included a lot of Ren and Six. But I've been talking to some people, and there's been a few other interesting ideas, like, what if Delver of Secrets was banned? Would Delver deck, or would Tempo deck still exist? Uh, what cards could possibly replace Delver Secrets in Tempo decks if they were still viable? Uh, would bigger blue decks become the norm? Something like Four Color Control or Stoneblade? And does the format actually benefit? So these are the questions we're asking. And I don't know on all of them, but I think it would certainly make Legacy a little bit more interesting. I'm not sure if it would actually help Legacy in the long run. But I think th- brainstorming a world without Delver Secrets certainly piques my interest. 
Uh, Anurag, what do you think? Well, let's start with the first question you're asking, which is, would tempo decks still exist? I think... Oh, oh my god. Like, just like the thought of banning a card like Delver of Secrets. Sorry, I'm still trying to digest this, because Delver of Secrets is like... It kind of feels like a sacred cow, where it's just like, why would you ever ban Delver of Secrets? Like, that card isn't really it. And, I mean, yeah, I kind of I kind of see it, right? But now the more I think about it, right? Tempo decks would technically still exist, because the real card that makes tempo decks functional isn't really Delver of Secrets. I think it's... Uh, Probably like Deathrite. Sh- uh, what did I say? Deathrite. I mean, I'm I'm getting tired. It's it's not Delver, but it's uh it's it's Days, right? Days in conjunction with your cheap cheap threats like Deathrite Shaman. That's where my thought process was. Way too ahead of the time. Uh, or like Hex Drinker, or you know whatever it is. Um, your Tarmogoyfs and what have you. That's the card that like forces your opponent to like uh, stumble a little bit, if that makes sense. Where they don't necessarily get to play on the curve with you. Um, that's what allows you to create, you know, advantageous board states while your opponent is trying to catch up on mana uh, to keep up with uh, what you've got on the board. So one quick thing uh, about one of your comments, you're like, why Delver Secrets? And you like asked it like it was a silly question, but should Blue really have the most aggressive creature ever printed it's a one mana three two flyer it is literally the most aggressive creature ever printed and it's the best creature for what it does and i don't know if blue actually deserves that and i know as a blue mage you're rolling your eyes and probably chuckling at me but it seems much more like it should have been a red card and i think that's part of the issue is delver secretly blue gets all these tools that it does doesn't deserve like snapcaster mage probably should have been a red card its abilities recoup and blue tends to absorb other colors' abilities, it seems like. And Delver Secrets is probably a mistake, and I think it's a fair question to ask. You know what else? Like, like you're saying this, and I'm just like, I, I'm not laughing at you. I'm, in fact, I'm in the other. I'm just like preach because, all right, here, 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 this out. Right, this is the biggest bullshit. Why is True Name Nemesis blue? You know what I mean? Like, that's just the power of blue. We get cards we don't need. I mean. I get. I don't know. It's just, you're right. Delver Secrets yeah, probably should not be shouldn't have blue. Been, oh, wait a minute. It's not blue. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> um, to answer your question, too, Brian. Um, yeah, I think that I think tempo decks would absolutely still exist. Um, I think for the long since I've been playing Legacy, there's always been Delver decks, but there's also always been a Delverless Delver deck. Or you always see someone that's trying to play Delverless Delver, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's trying to do the same thing, where it's trying to be low to the ground um, and be ahead of their opponent in tempo and stuff without the card Delver of Secrets. Because while Delver of Secrets is an incredibly powerful card, and when played early with protection, you know, gets the job done, it often is just like a bad top deck a lot of the times. Um, it's really bad if you're in a field of uh, terminus and such. Um, so that's that's kind of my reasoning behind it. Is like the the term tempo and the term delver are not the same thing. They're not synonymous. Um, I would call delver. You know, it's it's a it's a sub archetype of tempo. It's it's a deck that is a tempo deck, but then it is also like its own thing. Um, and I think tempo is greater than that, and and can still be. Uh, reached without the card Delver of Secrets um, easily, even, I would say. I tend to agree with the two of you. 
there's a very popular tempo deck that is sees played right now that does not play Delver or Secrets. It can, it just doesn't. And that's Death Shadow. Death Shadow doesn't play Delver, or at least it doesn't have to. A lot of people just run your Death Shadows, your Grimaga Anglers, and then they run Stubborn Denials and things like that. Um, and I think that's one option for the future if Delver Secrets were to ever leave. It runs very similarly, but you have to wait a turn or two to, do, to, to deploy your threats. And then this might not be the most popular opinion, but I look at Infect as a tempo deck. It oh, just happens to have a, a combo-esque one. finish, but it plays very similarly. Yeah. Infect is a really good example of uh, a tempo deck that does not play Delver. Absolutely. Death Shadow, I feel like you, you see Delver in those kind of decks just because it's free to play Delver, but... You know, if Delver theoretically was banned, like, I'm pretty sure Death Shadow would be, like, the go-to or one of the two go-to, quote, tempo decks in the format. Uh, I will say one more thing, and that is uh, tempo decks would still exist. I think the quality of the card Delver Secrets is, is really good just because it can flip very fast into a very aggressive threat. But in a lot of these, like, mid rangey Delver mirrors... Uh, for example, in the match that I described earlier, like Delver is not even that good of a card. Uh, in between games like two and three, or when Javier was on the draw against uh, Andrea, he actually boarded his Delvers out. And that's kind of a crazy sort of revelation that just like um, over the over the years, you know, the power creep is kind of real and just like the quality of cards and creatures that we've been getting. And the, I mean, Delver is a very good card, but by no means is it, you know, as powerful as it used to be. I do think that it was substantially powered before, but now that the power level of other cards has also increased, I think that means that, uh, relatively speaking, Delver has technically gotten weaker. Yeah, definitely agree. And that's what I was kind of saying earlier is that at Del- Delver sometimes is just a 3-2 flyer that doesn't really do much. The opponent doesn't care about it. Um, and that's a really like simple way to put it, but... I think I think what perpetuates the Delver decks right now isn't the card Delver of Secrets. I think it's the cards surrounding it. Um, and as we alluded to earlier, it's just these cards that are so hyper efficient that they make these other cards that may not see that may not normally be so powerful seem way more powerful than they actually are. I don't know if that's weird to say. No, I, I think I get what you're trying to say, and it's kind of a weird uh, realization, right? Because I'll play, I played against Blue Red Delver the other day, and I played against it multiple times, where games are like, all right, they play a Delver sequence on turn one, and it's it's not actually the threat that they're trying to get to uh, protect. Uh, it's like a, a sponge for removal, because then the, you know I kill the Delver, and then they untap, and then they play their uh, you know their their Dread Horde Arcanist, or they'll purposely like play two. Uh, Dread, uh, Delver of Secrets into play. I'll Supreme Verdict or Terminus, and then they'll untap and slam like a true name Nemesis. You know what I mean? The fact that you know Delver of Secrets is almost like a a means to an end. Or in on the situations. on the flip side of that, even is sometimes it's so innocuous that they ignore the Delver and are so worried about these other threats like the Tarmogoyf and the true name Nemesis that they kind of forget that they're taking three a turn, right? Yeah, I mean. It's a kind of it's kind of hard to forget that you're getting domed, but I I, I like y- yes, you know what I mean. Like you get so caught up and just like, well, if I use my plow now, or if I you know d- do action X Y Z now, like what do I do later on? And and maybe that just means 
that Delver of Secrets is actually like Dead Devil's Advocate. Like that that's what makes it critical, right? Let's say we replace Delver of Secrets with another threat that, you know, we can actually literally ignore because it, you know, like let I mean, let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about like what other threats could reasonably replace Delver of Secrets and you know when we make these comparisons, like keep in mind that this is a three-two that has flying, uh, like an evasive damage dealer that, you know, I don't know, like only needs to get a couple hits in before the rest of the deck can actually like end the game. So, uh, what are some other cards that would be played instead of Delver of Secrets? We mentioned Death Shadow, and then we mentioned, I guess, like I- I'll say, like Glistener Elf kind of thing in the context of Infect, but eh, whatever, you know. So, I actually have some answers outlined. Uh, Monastery Swiss Spear would be a very obvious one. Blue Red Delver is already playing it, but perhaps they could become more uh, Swiss Spear oriented. So you could also run Soul Scar Mage or even Goblin Guide because the burn deck doesn't care about if your opponent's getting an extra land as long as they're killing you. And I'm calling Blue Red Delver a burn deck, but these are for the variants that are more burn oriented. If you're running the Dreadhorde Arcanist based list, I wouldn't recommend something like Goblin Guide or Soul Scar Mage. Then you have Hex Drinker. It's already seeing a lot of play. It's a very aggressive creature that gets bigger, much like Delver of Secrets. I actually think that Hex Drinker stock would go up pretty heavily. Um, I, we, I, we've already talked about how we think it's great. Uh, I think it would be even better without Delver of Secrets. Terramander, I think it had its day in the sun. If Delver of Secrets was banned, I don't think Terramander would step in. I know it can be a pseudo uh, Tomb Stalker. I'm, I just don't think it's good enough personally. Uh, Nibble Mongoose, I'm not sure. I think Hex Drinker might have taken its spot in today's uh, era. Yeah, Nibble Mongoose has not aged well against all the other Gurmag Anglers and like Hooting Mandrels and like just like even Eldrazi. Like, I just, yeah, I'm sorry, Nimble Mongoose. Actually, I'm not. <laughs> no, I don't like that card at all. And then the last one's kind of a throwback to when I was much younger and thinner. Uh, Wild in the Cattle, there used to be a four color blue zoo deck. Uh, this was during the Mental Misstep era. And Wild in the Coddle was one of the all-stars of that deck. You ran it uh, with Delver Secrets, and you just had multiple one-mana three threes or three twos that you could drop into play and smash. And it's not out of the question that you just run a four-color uh, Delver-style deck with a new three-three because you're already playing you know, most of these colors. You just have to play white for your fourth instead of black. Okay, hear me out. I have a crazy argument. You ready? Noble Hierarch. How do you feel My about that? My ears just perked up through the ceiling. Nice. So here's my argument. I think Tempo can come in other shapes and forms, and I think Noble Hierarch is... Like, you had me thinking when you said, like, Infect. Um, do you remember the deck that Reed Duke played that he won the, bug, uh, the Grand true name with? Deck like, where the Noble Four deck? true names, Noble Hierarchs, Deathrite Shamans, crank it out on turn two. Yeah, and he also had days in his deck as well, right? So, like, he was really just focused on getting, like, a really powerful three-drop into play and then just, like, you know, using cheap counters to uh, control his opponent. I don't know. I just feel like, you know, tempo is is not necessarily just getting, like, a big clock into play on turn one, but it could also be... There are, like, different types of, like, uh, advantages you can 
qualify as tempo for example like mana advantages through noble hierarch i mean i guess that's what days is too right it is technically a mana yeah i i would define tempo as mana advantage and delver does it on you know a different way where it's casting free spells versus what you're talking about noble hierarch you're just casting spells faster so eddie would you consider drawing cards to be tempo no not necessarily all right, now we can kick him out of this call. Yeah, okay. Uh, you had your time, Eddie. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I think that's card advantage, right? That's that's, I, it, that's a different thing to. It's a reference to an old. Uh, honor, see, I mean. I'm, 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 I'm not apologies. educated. I'm not educated. Yeah, the the meme where you know that picture of the guy looking at the butterfly and is like, is this whatever? I was drawing cards and I was like, is this? Sorry, tempo? was that an ethical question? I'm not very good at those. Oh, goodness. (laughs) But, yeah, no, I think Noble Hierarch is another card that we could see in these sort of decks. And, obviously, that just means, like, that the Delver decks would grow up. They'd get a little bit bigger. You know, they wouldn't be traditional Delver. I mean, so many things probably change. Uh, Well, this actually goes very well with uh, the next question that I asked, which was, how much larger would blue decks become? Uh, Does four-color become the norm? Uh, in a world without Delver that still has Ren and Six. Uh, Stoneblade, you mentioned Noble Hierarch uh, ramping into three drops like True Name or Leovold. Uh, like, how much bigger does Blue get? Which kind of made me ask a secondary question, which was, if there's no Delver Secrets, do these four-color control decks and, you know, other mid-rangey Blue decks, are they still so good that Miracles can't come back? Yeah, I think uh, very specifically regarding the Miracles question, the real answer is that Miracles is going to be a good deck when Swords to Plowshares and Terminus are very good cards. And right now, I think they're only okay. Oh, and also Counterbalance, when Counterbalance is a good card. Right now, they're only okay. Uh, when they do become better, uh, I'll I mean, you know. I think on average, the, the converted mana costs of the deck list are naturally going to go higher. But a lot of them are still going to be playing some of the... like. Mainstay creatures we already see in Tarmogoyf, True Name, Young, uh, young Pyromancer, and such. So, yes, technically, I think they'll be getting a little bigger. Um, and maybe not. Maybe they'll print another one drop. Maybe someone will find a one drop that can fill that slot. Um, but again, I kind of go back to that Delverless Delver concept I was talking about, where you can do the same thing. Uh, in very similar fashions and just kind of rip that card out, replace it with four different ones. Yeah, maybe that's really interesting though, right? Because like you could make it, make this weird argument that like the creatures have gotten so good in Legacy lately, the bar has been set so high that like maybe Delver is really the only playable one drop because, you know, a card like Noble Hierarch or most of these one drops, right? Don't they just, like, eat it to, like, Renin 6 and things like that? I mean, I guess Wild Nacatl was kind of a cool one because that gets big really fast as well. So I think one of the issues with Delver Secrets is actually very similar to Reanimator, where you can compare Delver Secrets to Gristlebrand, where Gristlebrand, the next creature that you want to reanimate is so far down on the list that you don't even know what it is anymore. Like, what are other one-drops that even compare to Delver Secrets? There's just so few of them that I think it's actually somewhat boring. And it would be a little bit more interesting if that wasn't the case. And I'm not saying that this is a reason to ban Delver Seekers or Gristlebrand, even though I'd be very happy if Gristlebrand left the format. Uh, But it just, it's not interesting with something so much better than everything else that it's not even a question anymore. Yeah. 
that's a really good point. I think diversity is something that we could definitely uh I'm not saying like it's necessary, but maybe in our fight for options we make a decision that like banning Delver or that, you know, lets us suddenly play more more cards. Uh I don't know. When I, was the last time you thought about Wild Nicodle? Oh, you wanna know the real the real answer? It was like a year ago. I was at an SCG Classic. No, it was maybe Legacy Open. And uh, Jesse Hatfield played <laughs> turn one Nicodle, turn two Nicodle. In like literal 2017 or 2018, I got beat down by Nicodles and I almost lost the match. It was like a really, really close game. I think he. Uh, what's that? Does uh, the domain. Tribal Flames. That only kills creatures, right? No, that can yeah, That only hits you. creatures. Planes, uh, hits players. Oh my god! I think that's the card that I was trying to dodge, and uh, I was nervous the whole time. That's that's the point. I was nervous the whole time. All right. So in this hypothetical world where Delver Secrets is no longer in Legacy, does the format actually benefit? It's weird, because I thought like when I think of no Delver in the format, I think what decks actively benefit from it, and I I kind of feel like it's not going to be. Your your controlly swords to plowshares, uh, short, blah, blah, blah. your controlly swords to plowshares decks as much as it's going to be your your uh just like derpy like put a gristlebrand or you know emrakul into play kind of deck you know so basically I'm trying to say I feel like combo is the real winner in this and it's not uh it's not you know the whoever's losing these ren and six mirrors in in the current you know legacy subset yeah i agree i will agree with you no 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 uh i was just saying i agree i mean delver as much as i hate to admit it um is kind of the the police of the format in that it's kind of able to keep those degenerate decks um at bay uh even though you know like ant would be considered a bad matchup for it um it's able to do exactly what a deck needs to do to beat those fast combo decks and that's kill kill them while you're disrupting them um and i think that's actually really valuable for the format and a lot of people forget that ant isn't the only combo deck in the format there's also this really good looking uh combo deck the epic storm uh and but realistically there's reanimator and show and tell and decks like that and delver tends to be very good against reanimator and show and tell so there's always that yeah I I don't know if that's actually considered a benefit though. I feel I feel like it's just like different, right? Like it's still like shifting and like Brian in the show notes you've got a pretty good point here which is basically just saying like in legacy like people are going to like optimize decks till to the point where some deck will stand up above the rest or you know be very very good. I mean, maybe there's a period of time where you have like a dead even but it'll be like two or three decks or whatever you know what i mean and then i feel like people will then say like oh it's just a rock paper scissors format like there is always there are always going to be decks that are better than other decks so i think maybe it's just inevitable um that we're going to be in a sort of situation where like one deck is going to be better than others i guess the question is how would you like to be filleted you know what i mean like delver of secret like i would at least like to lose to the best deck uh, you like sorry what i'm trying to say is like when i lose to the best deck I, I hope that i at least got to play some magic you know what i mean 
That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I'm my my final point for this is uh, I think Delver of Secrets is not the issue, um, and I think that as I said earlier, the issue is the card surrounding Delver and kind of um, shining the light at it while they're deceptively really um, carrying the deck and making it uh, better. Um, something here we see is that you know there were six copies of Delver in the top eight of um, Eternal Weekend, but there were 32 copies of the card Brainstorm, right? You knocked that off. I mean, I'm just here. I'm we just don't talk here, about that. I'm just here saying numbers, um, and it's it's just one of those things where everyone always wants to jump to the next thing. And I'm not saying ban brainstorm, but um, but but why why is that always overlooked to to the second option to the third option when the card is you know so much more um, really what's making things happen. Um, Hey, feel, feel free to edit Eddie out. Uh, we're not going to allow this on the show. But yeah. the truth is that... None of this Thalia's epic uh, epic spy business on our cast. No, thank you. If, you. if you play this podcast backwards, it says humans is the best. The truth is that Brainstorm is a pillar of the format, much like people say that Vintage has uh, Mishra's Workshop. Wizards has already gone out and said that, hey, Brainstorm is something that we see Legacy as. It's the format you can cast this card. Realistically, if they were going to ban Brainstorm, they would have done it seven years ago when it was in like 72% of winning decks. That number has gone down regularly over the last five or six years. But I agree with you. Uh, there's periods of time where Brainstorm's at a higher percentage, but it's never going to get back to that insane number that it was at. And if it was going to be banned, it probably would have been my, banned then. My, my point being, though, is that I, I like I said I don't think brainstorm should be banned, but again I don't think Delver should either. I think um, the card that should be banned is the card that goes alongside both of those cards, that also makes the non-brainstorm decks uh, inept, which, if we go back to it, is Ren and Six, right? Um, and honestly, I'm not even sure if I support any bannings. I think it's still a little too early to tell. I'm someone that likes to let people shake things out. And I, I mean, we're getting to that point with Run and Six, but one of the things about Legacy, and I actually talked about this with one of my opponents at the Leaving a Legacy Open, is people, there aren't really like Delver players or Miracles players. I mean, Onrog somewhat, but there's blue players, and a lot of blue players just switch to the next best blue deck depending on what's good right now like some people will play delver then two weeks later they'll be playing blade and if miracles becomes the best deck they'll be playing that in a month uh like they just love their cantrip cartel and they love their force of wills so they're going to swap and you can ban ren and six and then they're just going to go back to playing blade with narsets or miracles with narsets or something like that and there's still going to be some blue deck that seems oppressive at the top. It's really just the numbers shifting somewhere else. And that's part of the issue is that Ren and Six is good, but it's really just because enough people have shifted to playing this deck because we're all convinced it's the best thing. And it is good, but is it really bannable? And I'm not convinced it is at the moment. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. I, I think differently. 
I would be very glad to see Red and Six go. It just feels like right now, like Delver is the kind of deck, like Tempo decks, it just feels like, and I'm going to quote uh, one of our, our listeners, Goblin Lackey One. He, we had a conversation about this, and he said that uh, Delver is supposed to be the police of the unfair, but right now it just feels like Delver is gatekeep, gatekeeping the fair decks. And uh, that's when I think uh, we need to maybe look a little closer at this and uh, really evaluate whether or not everything is actually fine. It's probably a good point to end on. Uh, Eddie, thank you for joining us. Uh, you are our favorite replacement, Wilson. Um, you have a little bit too much hair, but we still appreciate you. I was going to say, I kind of like the hair. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. Yeah, thanks Eddie, thanks for, for joining us. Uh, I always love coming on. And uh, Wilson, I love you. I miss you. Um, and thanks for everyone for listening. We'll catch you again uh, ooh, uh, in like two weeks, I think. Right? Is that our weekly schedule? I don't even know anymore. We'll see if we can get Wilson back on the cast, but he has been busy, and he does say thank you so much for uh, listening. On that note, have a good night and uh, or good day, yeah, wherever you are. I said good day. And this is episode 17 of the Eternal Glory Podcast. Here with me today, I have Adrag Das of Eternal Weekend and Brian Cook. <laughs> Should I end this man's life? <laughs>